Welcome to the Power of Showing Up podcast brought to you by Raise Foundation, the experts in youth mentoring. My name is Dan Davis and I'm the host of this podcast and a program counselor at Raise. Today I'm speaking to Danielle Miller. She is the CEO of the award-winning school programs for teenage girls in Lighten Education. In this episode, you will learn about the challenges facing today's teenage girls, practical advice and tips on how to support teenage girls, and an insight into the amazing work that Enlightened Education is doing for teenage girls. Danielle, thank you so much for joining us on the Power of Showing Up podcast. I'm very excited to learn more about Enlightened Education and how the programs work. Um, But before we dive into that, I think it's really important to start off by getting an understanding of some of the challenges and issues that are facing today's teenage girls. So would you be able to talk to that point a little bit, please? Yes, certainly. Many of those challenges are the very same challenges that I struggled with as a teen girl. I suppose they're timeless for girls and women. Things like trying to make sense of what will make us lovable, what will make us attractive, coming to terms with the fact that we're not just a body, we're a somebody. So girls and women are often presented with very narrow definitions of what will define beauty in our culture. And it can be really challenging to see ourselves as whole people and to look beyond some of those incredibly limiting beauty myths and beauty standards that we're presented with. For teenagers too, we know that respect for relationships is a huge challenge. So often when we think of domestic violence, perhaps we might assume that teenagers may be witnessing the adults in their homes behaving disrespectfully. Yet we know that the violence teen girls experience in their romantic relationships is a public health emergency that we keep ignoring. Um, Australian research shows that almost one in three young people aged 12 to 20 have been victims of dating violence. And while we know boys and girls are almost equally likely to have experienced some measure of abuse, teen girls are four times more likely to report being frightened and hurt by the aggression they experienced. So it's a real mixed bag. And I guess the very short answer is that they absolutely need us to guide them through this time and to equip them with the skills they need to deal with quite adult issues when they might only have childlike strategies to fall back on. Yeah, definitely. There's some shocking numbers there. I don't know if everyone um, would would maybe understand the the extent to how bad it is for for teenage girls. So that's that's really sad to hear. Is there um, is that the kind of stuff that 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 research is that what you're using to to I guess implement into the programs that you're running? Maybe it would be helpful to tell us a little bit about what Enlightened Education is and how you. I guess, use some of that information to to help empower teenage girls? Yeah, that's a great question. So much of our work is really informed from teenagers themselves. So we like to speak with them, not at them. When we run our workshops in schools with teenagers, it's really a conversation rather than a lecture. Um, and teenagers can be incredibly open and authentic if you connect with them in the right way. And so adolescents will tell us very clearly what are the issues that they are um, concerned with, worried about, need support with. I just don't think we listen. Mm. (laughs) I just don't think we listen um, very often. And I think when we do listen, sometimes we're listening in order to solve problems rather than to really hear and to really um, be informed So I think that's a key too, you know, for listeners uh, is that when you are engaging with young people to really tune in and don't assume that you're going to jump in with a solution 
rather get information, hear the whole narrative, allow them to share their personal stories and experiences. So a lot of our work is informed by young people themselves, but definitely from, from key research. So my background was in, educa is in education. Um, I started my career as a students at risk coordinator at a, a government high school. But in the last 20 years in particular, I've spent a lot of time interviewing experts, researching. I've written five books. I've worked in media um, and I write feature stories and cover feature stories. So that all gives me wonderful opportunity um, to have lots of conversations and listen to lots of people, not just teenagers, but also those who are there in the coalface working alongside them. Yeah, no, that's really great to hear that there's a lot of... Um backed research as well as a lot of like practical elements to the programs. And I think that point you made about listening is crucial and something that um, if, if people could start to learn how to actually listen and hold space for people instead of jumping into that problem solving or that fixing mentality, which is so common for people, um, I think that would make the world of difference to just community and, and society in general, if people were able to start implementing those skills. But it's really great to hear that, you know, you're very attuned to what's going on. And um, yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of beautiful intentions behind the programs. Would you be able to tell us like how it actually started? How did Enlightened Education start? What was that first program like? Yeah, it, it's, it's an interesting journey. So I did begin my career as a high school teacher teaching English, but I realised early on, Daniel, that despite my best intentions, my students weren't going to be interested in, in hearing about Jane Austen or grammar or poetry if they hadn't felt safe in their homes the evening before or if they hadn't eaten breakfast that morning. So I really quickly became much more interested in student wellbeing. Um, and I was asked to develop some in, um, innovative mentoring programs for young people. So a bit like Ray's, I'm a huge fan of the mentoring program. And I was also asked to look at designing some um, engaging programs for young people that could connect them back to learning. And while I was doing all of that, I took myself off to uni to do my MBA to learn more about the world of business, given that I was being asked to create future entrepreneurs. And um, while studying, I guess I had the idea to create my own dream business that could go in and have conversations that really matter with teenagers, girls and boys. We have a boys program as well. And so I guess that's how I found it enlightened 20 years ago next year. So we've worked with about 250,000 teenagers as a team in the last 20 years. And um, it, it, it's powerful work. I'm really proud of it. I'm really proud of it because I uh, now am in this very unique position, Daniel, where a lot of my clients that call, this makes me feel very old, but it's very flattering, will be teachers who say, you came to my school when I was in year eight and it was the best day and it's fantastic and I still think about things you said and I'd love to book you in for my year eights. And I think that's <laughs> glorious, um, you know, that idea of the butterfly effect, which is the name of my first book and the name of our program, that these small changes can have this huge rippling huge significant effect that we don't even perhaps realize at the time. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And that's something I noticed in my like program counseling role at Raise that, you know, sometimes you won't actually notice uh, the effects of what of what you're doing. And sometimes that might just linger with the person and sit with them. And you just have no idea when that kind of information or the fact that someone was sitting and listening to them or anything like a byproduct of being in a program um, could actually lead to them being able to reflect or being able to ask for help or being able to, I guess, 
guess, understand themselves a little bit better. There's so much power in it. And a lot of the times it is behind closed doors or we don't see uh, the wonderful work that they're doing outside of the programs. Um, I would love to know a little bit more about the logistics of the program. So like, how do they actually operate and work? What do they look like? Yeah, so schools will get us in for either a half or a full day program. And we work with the whole cohort at once. And that's really important because what we're trying to do is create cultural shift. So if we were to perhaps take a small group of young people aside and give them these amazing conversations and these skills um, to deconstruct culture, then they'd be returning to the same environment that perhaps alienated them in the first place. So the idea is that we will build capacity, knowledge and skills within the year group, and that makes them more cohesive, more connected. So there's so much power, Daniel, in realising that you need to deconstruct culture, not yourself or each other. Right. So I often argue that teenagers, particularly teenage girls, are gifted at critiquing. And if we can just turn that critical gaze outward rather than inward, they can be such a powerful force for good. So by building these connections within the cohort, within their school, then that creates a sense of agency. Um, and it also really develops these important connections that you've you've referred to, which we know are what build our happiness, right? So happiness is all about connection to other um, and feeling that you've found your tribe. For me as a teen girl, you know, I, I know that finding feminism was, was quite life-changing, that sense of sisterhood connection. Um, and so we love building that, that building up that sense of, um, as a year group, them being much more powerful together than they are divided. And we'll work on various topics with them, everything from perhaps gratitude and altruism to body image to um, personal safety um, to absolutely positive relationships, respectful relationships, consent. And we'll work with the school to work out the best combination of workshops for that particular group based on what's going on with them at the moment. Mm, yeah, that's really great to hear that you're touching on so many uh, important and relevant topics. And I would love to hear, like, you've kind of touched on a few of the points, but what kind of differences are you noticing um, in the teenage girls that are engaged in the enlightened workshops? Yes, yeah, certainly we rely on schools to give us a lot of that feedback. And they will say that they definitely notice the girls are more connected as a year group, um, that they see fewer behaviour problems, that the girls are better able to identify when they need support um, with their mental health or with their relationships and will actively seek that support which is really powerful. But also I do get a lot of emails um, and DMs on Instagram from teenagers who have worked with us who will tell me uh, what a huge impact that day had, what a huge impact that conversation had and how really they've internalised, you know, my voice, my presenter's voice, and that becomes their inner guide. Um, and, and they'll report to me some of the significant changes that they may have made, which can include, you know, breaking up uh, a toxic relationship. So I love the fact that sometimes we break up relationships and that is a very good thing. <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. And that's great to hear that you're actually getting some feedback personally as well. Not that that's, you know, necessarily what it's about, but it's lovely to be able to get that feedback and know that um, you have impacted a lot of people's lives because, you know, sometimes, like I was saying before, sometimes you don't get that feedback or you don't get to hear from the people directly. So that's really lovely to hear that the work is is so powerful and it's actually like transcending 
like generations almost like it's going by the sounds of it going into um you know their future which in turn could then influence the people in their lives later down the track which is again we don't know the impact that that could make over a period of time but you know if they're getting the foundation and the knowledge then we we just don't know the the amount of um you know, beauty that can be spread around to different people in their lives. So that's really great to hear. Yeah, and I think there's so much of that that's transferable for anyone listening, really, whether they be a parent or whether they be a teacher in a classroom. So some of the enlightened, I guess, um, magic ingredients include holding hope for our teenagers, you know, encouraging them to understand that there's always a way forward. We need to work through solutions rather than catastrophizing with our teens. Um, And we want to avoid excessive criticism and instead share our own mistakes, our own journey, share our stories. You know, how we learn is through storytelling. Look at the impact of Rosie Batty's story, Grace Tame's story. Stories can can shift a nation, nevertheless a classroom or a school. Um, And I think it's also really important that we also understand that we can help them expand their skills and their vocabulary, um, you know, expand their emotional vocabulary, give them permission to express the full range of emotions. So I find teen girls might be, might not always have been encouraged perhaps to be assertive. Um, teen boys often haven't been encouraged or given permission to be vulnerable. So it really is about opening up um, expression, opening up capacity to, to reach out and also I- encouraging empathy. I mean, you know, it sounds silly, Daniel, but I've always believed one of the magic ingredients in Enlighten is love. <laughs> um, I really do love teenagers and they can tell. I, you know, I often argue that teenagers and animals or dogs in particular, you know, you can't lie to them. They, they can, they can sniff out whether you're really on their side or not. Um, and they do really crave understanding and deep affection, even if they don't always make that very obvious. It sounds like there's a lot of challenging of dominant discourses by the sounds of it, where there's, you know, these discourses that are formed in society or, you know, through school systems or however it's formed of like, you know, men can't be vulnerable or, you know, there's a lot of comparison for women out there around like social media and how their body should look or how they should act. Um, and it's lovely that you're, by the sounds of it, really challenging those dominant discourses, which are really entrenched in a lot of um, people, unfortunately, and actually are very destruct, you know, destructive to those people. Um, so it's really lovely to hear that. So for absolutely, um, and there's so much power in that, isn't there, Daniel? There's so much power when you realise that you're not the problem, mm. <laughs> that culture is the problem, and that you can be a change maker. Um, and when you when you when you understand that shift. When you can see, for example, as a teen girl, that you're at war with your body because there's a war being waged on your body by culture, wow, you know, wow, that's a moment where where the lights go on and and um, it can be incredibly um, liberating to, to finally to finally see behind um, some of these messages that just don't serve us and speak out and up against them. And that's where we see the teens really connecting, right? So there might be teens within the within the group who think, oh, I have nothing in common with that group over there. But as the session progresses, they realise, oh, wow, they are exactly like me. We are far more alike than we are different. So it breaks down all of this clickishness and they realise that it serves no one for them to be divided and at war with each other. 
Yeah, no, 100%. And from what I'm getting from what you've been saying as well is that you didn't use this language, but the language I will use here is that so many people, and I'm, I'm sure especially teenage girls as well, have a very strong inner critic. And that inner critic yeah. is developed, like you've been saying, from society and from the discourses um, that are out there. And I'm sure that once the girls sit together and start to understand that, you know, they might be saying similar things to themselves and being very critical of themselves and they share the fact that, you know, they feel a particular way or they look at themselves in a particular way. And, you know, I'm sure when you start to peel those layers away, there are some similarities in where that narrative has come from. Absolutely. And this is why I think sorry to shift my gaze onto Ray's for a moment, this is why I think the work that you all do is so incredibly powerful, this mentoring. You know, we know that one of the key um, drivers for whether a young person will be okay or not is that safety net of just having one adult who cares, one adult who wants to connect with them and love them. Um, and we can't underestimate that role. But as you've said, they can also then model this beautiful idea of, um, speaking out and up and and deconstructing some of the cultural messages that really don't serve us. So with um, people listening, our audience listening to this, this episode, do you have any advice or tips um, that could be helpful for our audience um, who are supporting teenage girls? Yeah, I think it is to build up those... Um, those critiquing skills, to encourage them to critique culture, not themselves and their peers, and to turn that critical lens outward. That's a really powerful um, a powerful process to support them through. But as I said, you know, share our stories. Don't be afraid of, of admitting your own mistakes. They don't want us to be perfect. They want us to be human and authentic and affectionate um, and hopeful with them. And so I think there are these terrible misconceptions about what teenagers are like, particularly teenage girls, actually. We often demonise them. You know, I couldn't tell you the number of times, Daniel, when I've been introduced and someone has said something like, and here's Danielle Miller who works with teenage girls, and then they roll their eyes and say, oh, that must be dreadful, or, you know, yes, teen girls can be so difficult, can't they? And, and it's interesting that we have this dialogue around teenagers because they are not removed from our culture. They hear that conversation, don't they? Mm -hmm. So how incredibly disrespectful, you know, to have your parents perhaps picking up a book that has some awful title about how tricky teens can be or to hear the adults in their lives talk about how difficult they are and awful they are because that's not what I see when I see teenagers. I see them as being incredibly funny and enthusiastic and, yes, challenging, but, gosh, you know, so they should be. I mean, who'd want to be a teen again? <laughs> you know, <laughs> changing body, back to school, getting out of bed, you're exhausted, being asked what you want to do for the rest of your life when you don't know what you want for lunch. So I think collectively we need to be a lot kinder and a lot more connected and actually tune out for ourselves those limiting messages about the fact that teens will always be difficult and that this will be a stage that must merely be endured when I think it's a stage that can be absolutely embraced and celebrated. And I have two teens of my own, so I'm not speaking about this just from a hypothetical perspective. I've been there, done that. <laughs> it's not always easy, but no relationship worth having is. 
Just before we finish uh, this episode, Danielle, would you be able to tell our audience a little bit about where they can find out more information about, in general, whether it's teenage girls or about enlightened education, you know, whatever it is that may be relevant to our audience? Would you be able to tell us like some good spots where they can find some more information? I would love to. So if they go to enlighteneducation.com, then they can read all about our programs for girls that are only run in schools and also our programs for boys. Or they can look up my website, daniellemiller.com. I've got two N's in Danielle, just to be tricky. Um, and then they can find out a bit more about my work in the media and my writing. And I also work in domestic violence. So I set up a shelter in my local area or was part of a community group that set up a shelter called The Sanctuary. And I now support the work of 10 shelters across New South Wales. Um, and every night we have over 100 women and kids who stay with us to stay safe. So I wear a few different hats but um, all incredibly rewarding work that um, I think, you know, does make a difference. I'd like to think so. Thanks for joining me today for the Power of Showing Up podcast brought to you by Ray's Foundation, the experts in youth mentoring. Want to hear more about Youth Matters? Then subscribe today so you are always up to date with our latest episodes. If you like this episode, then feel free to share it with a friend or leave us a review. We'll see you in the next episode.